everybody, Cody and Raj here. And today I want to talk about potential real-life Web3 use cases in plain English. Uh, I'm not going to be using any buzzwords, um, and I'm going to get right to the point. But first, I want to give a little intro. I want to talk about my biases. So one of my favorite Twitter accounts and podcasts is Derek Thompson, who's a staff writer at The Atlantic and host of the Plain English Podcast at The Ringer. So when Derek writes his Twitter threads, he will sometimes write his biases, letting the reader know where he stands. And I love that. So I'm going to do the same. So I'm a Web3 believer, and I'm a skeptic. I think Web3 will have a future, and it will disrupt many industries, which um, I'm going to talk about later when I get to the use case. But I also believe that Web3 will not take over the world. It's going to be a combination of Web3 and Web2. Web2 is the internet that we have right now. It's interactive. You can write blogs. You have social media. You can share your stories. People can comment on it, um, like Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, static blogs. I don't think all of that's going to go on the blockchain. I don't think all of that's going to be decentralized, though some of it will, but not all of it. Uh, some other things I want to talk about is the reason I'm doing this podcast is an article I read by Charlie Warzel. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing it right. Include the notes in the uh, include the link in the show notes. It's called "The Petty Pleasures of Watching Crypto Profiteers Flounder." Now, normally, I am very lukewarm. Actually, I'm not really a fan of mainstream tech journalism. I think a lot of them are very dismissive of the new tech because they don't like the founders. They don't like their politics. They don't like their ethics. Um, I know that sounds petty, but it's true. And uh, But Charlie Warzel did write an excellent article, so I'll include the link. And his writing is very straightforward, especially in that article. And he's a professional and a gifted writer. So other things, the reason why I started this podcast is I, a lot of tech people, and I don't blame them, their, their number one thing is to be tech, not necessarily to explain tech in layman's terms to layman people. But um, that's where this podcast comes in. I'm hoping to bridge that gap. And I find tech words, tech buzzwords, the bane of my existence they are just an excuse to sound smart, to impress others, and increase the word count on an article or blog or just buy you some time um, when you're speaking in an interview or a YouTube video. I, I really do believe that if an ordinary person talked talk like a Web3 venture capitalist in a pitch meeting to other Web3 venture capitalists or just any venture capitalist, that VC would probably turn off their brain and leave the meeting, either physically or mentally. So, and, uh, you know, okay, in defense of them and the defense of everybody that's a Web3 enthusiast or a skeptic, it's going to take some time on how Web3 will be used. I mean, internet technologies were invented in the late 70s and early 80s, I think, uh, by some researchers at USC and UCLA. And, but it didn't take off until the mid-90s, until the World Wide Web was invented and the browsers were invented. So 
So that's where I stand. Okay, now let's get back to the use case, or let's get started with the use case. Streaming music and artist royalties. So many people listen to music, and they use a streaming service. Spotify, YouTube Music, Apple Music, Pandora, which I think is still around. They're great. They really are great. They have an extensive music library. Just about any song you want to listen to, they have it. And if they don't have it, they will probably be getting it pretty soon. Like the Beatles, they weren't on any streaming services, and now they are. How awesome is that? And the customer only has to pay the streaming service, not for each song that they listen to. I don't think that model is going to go away from music listeners. I think that's going to stay for a while. I like the idea that I pick one streaming service, I pay them a monthly fee, and I get to listen to all their songs in that library. I don't know if you can get much better than that. I think, sure, you might be able to go cheaper if you don't listen to a lot of songs and go a la carte and just uh, buy the music individually, which you could still do. Um, you know, Apple offers um, a way to buy a song individually, and I think Amazon does too. But I think a lot of people are just, they like the idea of streaming. I can just pick any songs, it allows you to add new songs over time. So, so how does the Spotify work? How does Spotify get their money? How do they pay the record labels? How do they pay the artists? How does that work? So I actually went on the Spotify. They have a website that explains this, a two-minute video or three. Maybe it's a four-minute video. I don't know. But I'll include the link in the uh, show notes. It's a really great video. So the money flows is the customer pays Spotify, usually with their credit card, that they have on file and you get charged every month. And then Spotify pays the music right holders, which could be someone that owns the music. A lot of times it's the record labels like Sony. And then they pay the artist. And that model works. But the problem with that is, though, that Spotify and the music right holders, like the record labels, they could fudge the numbers on how many people stream the music. You know, maybe a million, maybe a particular song sung by Taylor Swift, and it got streamed a million times in one week. And Spotify could say, like, you know what? It only got streamed a half a million times. Now, I'm not saying that Spotify is going to fudge the numbers, but they could. The potential is there. There's just a lot of, like, trust that you have, the record labels have with Spotify or the artists have with the Spotify, with Spotify and the record labels. So ultimately, the artist may not get their fair share of the money. And that's where Web3 can solve this. So Spotify can work with the record labels and the artist to create a smart contract. And a smart contract is basically just code on the blockchain. And that it would do the following. So the customer would listen to the artist's song using Spotify. And let's say they listened it to on the phone. And as the customer plays the song on the phone... The Spotify app on the phone will then communicate with the smart contract on the blockchain. The smart contract will record the number of times the song is streamed on the blockchain. So if I listen to that song five times in a row, boom, the the app will communicate to the blockchain where the smart contract is. The smart contract would then write that this person, and and I could be anonymized, could be just a serial number to represent me. Listen to the song five times. 
So then when it comes time for payment, where let's say they pay uh, the record labels or the people that own the song every week, they will pay the record holders based on the number of times the song has been played. And in that smart contract, they can also write what the payment details are. So every time the song gets played, they will pay the record label, let's say, one set. You know, and every artist will make a different deal with the record label and Spotify. And the nice thing about being in on the blockchain is it will be publicly available. Anybody can view the number of times that song was played. So the artist themselves, the record label, even a fan could look up and see how many times that song has been played. And the nice thing about the blockchain is you can create an entry, you can read an entry, but you cannot delete it and you can't edit it. So whatever's on there, as long as the smart contract was written correctly, that number should be correct. And the smart contract will most likely be written by a developer, but no code is coming. That's where the ability where an artist can write the smart contract by themselves without even having a developer. And that's going to be coming very soon. I mean, no code's already here, but it's just a matter of time that no code will get to the point where it's just as good as a code written by a developer. So, and then everyone will review the smart contract. So the artist, the record label, Spotify, any lawyers that are involved on, on numerous sides, and even maybe a developer in, will be involved just to make sure everything's correct. And if the details are correct, boom, it goes on the blockchain. And this allows the artist to determine how often their songs get streamed and how much they'll get paid without relying on Spotify or their record label for that information. Um, so Web3 smart contracts and blockchain will keep everybody honest in this use case and ensure the artist gets paid their fair share. All right, that's it. It's slightly over 10 minutes, under 11 minutes. So I plan to keep these podcasts short and they'll be even shorter in the future because I won't have an intro like I had this time. And that's it. So thanks, everybody.